Welcome to the Recruitment Radio Podcast. My name's Dan Dor, and each episode I'll be interviewing a different recruitment or business leader, asking them to share some wisdom and stories from their distinguished careers. Um, I'll also be asking them to select and talk through four pieces of music um, that they choose. And if those pieces of music are decent enough, they'll feature in uh, monthly playlists that I'm putting together on Spotify. The playlists that I've chosen um, reflect my own musical tastes. They're, they're multi-genre, uh, multi-generational and, you know, cover soul funk, hip hop house, disco, um, deep house, techno, bit drum and bass. And they're, they're really chosen in response to the common disagreement of what music gets played um, at work. They usually start off pretty chilled and then uh, kind of build from there. This month's guest is someone I've known for 24 years. As, um, as best friend and my business partner, uh, Gareth Lloyd. Um, for those that don't know Gareth, um, he's, uh, he's got uh, 20 years recruitment and consultancy experience, co-founded Amoria Bond together with myself and Nick in 2006, um, grown that business to 150 staff across four offices in Manchester, Amsterdam, Cologne and Singapore, uh, delivering into four divisions, technology, life sciences, engineering and energy, um, placing into 34 countries globally. Um, I think particular um, elements that, uh, that I, I'd say um, that Gareth's proud of is, is organically growing a management team. I think 27 out of a 30 uh, uh, board and senior management teams are all organically grown. And obviously there's been a, a number of accolades over the years, some, some, some awards, including the Queen's Award for International Growth and um, five consecutive years listed in the HSBC International Track 200. That's the fastest growing UK company's mid-market. Is that right? Yeah, with international sales. Okay. Um, it's not just all about recruitment uh, to you though. There's a, You've got interests as an investor in um, consulting, um, property, commodities business as well. Uh, maybe we'll talk about that. And you, you co-founded the Amora Bond Charitable Trust, um, a trust that funds and leads sustainable development projects for the relief of, of poverty and education for underprivileged children um, around the world. Overall, you, you're, a, you're a busy guy um, and a very good musical selector, having, having DJed with me for, uh, you know, as far as far as now as I can go back uh, and, and having run a music promotions business together before we actually got into recruitment. Yeah. Um, so let's start with the early years, Gareth. Yeah. Um, what did you want to be when you were younger? Uh, it was a good question. I, apparently, I turned around to my dad once uh, in the car when I was about 10 years old and said, Dad, one day I want to work in a modern air-conditioned office. And uh, here I am. So I made it. That, that's, that's every kid's dream, yeah. right? A modern yeah. air-conditioned office. I had no idea why I said that. but um, So that's what's ended up happening. Obviously, when I was a teenager, um, I was very into DJing. And so... Throughout uni, we were we were doing a lot of clubs and, and DJing, and uh, that was obviously a, a passion and something we were going to take forward. Well, you, you had mu music as, as an early part of your life before you went to university. Yeah, right? yeah. So I played the piano for a bit, and then I was um, into rock music and um, actually thrash metal and heavy metal, Metallica, these types of influences. So I was playing lead guitar in... A uh, bit of a crusty. A bit of a crusty, yeah. Some dreads, not very good ones. <laughs> Mate, that is a real look on you, honestly. Yeah, I was no looker. Uh, um, well, for, for, for I guess for some of the listeners out there, I, I think it's worth... T tell the story about how we met then, effectively, because you, 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 
you were you were from Guildford. You were already basically um, quite well established DJ playing on some of the free party scenes around the M25. This is in the early rave days, right? Yep. Um, yeah. And then I was um, the record label that I was signed to at the at the time, Dance Two Records, um, had a, a relationship with uh, a company called Lamba, who imported speakers and lights, and and they had a big stand at Earl's Court. And uh, I was asked to go and DJ at that stand. Um, and it just so happened that you were working on that stand. Uh, and we, we met, didn't really speak that much. This was the weekends before four. we actually ended up in the same halls of residence at university together. Yeah, so and we, you were my neighbour. We kind of met, but we didn't, we didn't, we were like, we did, hang on a second. Yeah. Were you there last weekend? Yeah, so, so, so we, were, we were in the bar, weren't we, first met, and, I, and Dan said to me, what, what, what were you up to last week? And I said, oh, I was DJing at, at Earl's Court. And he said, oh, really? Well, I was at Earl's Court. I said, oh, yeah, I was DJing on the Lambert store. And he was like, I worked on that stand. And then lo and behold, the, the two days later, we were, we were neighbours, I think, two doors down in Owens Park, weren't we? That's right. So uh, then, um, then, Quite a lot of uh, big sound systems were built and parties were had. A lot. Um, and we, we, we kind of wangled our way through university and were then professional promoters for a little while before falling into recruitment, right? Exactly, yeah. So, so what did the, the music promotions business teach you as you look back now? On, on What kind of skills did it arm you with going into recruitment? I think fundamentally... Um, resilience you know club promoter you can you can put everything in play the best lineup you know good networks for tickets you know advertising posters everywhere and you know a storm might blow into manchester and no one's coming that night you know and all your work for for that event you know and it's half full so so um resilience i think was a big lesson and obviously you need that in recruitment because you can't control you know, people and, and people starting for you or, or, you know, internal people. So I think that was number one. That, that, that feeling of when you stood on the door and you basically, you know, you're break evens, maybe 300 people, right? <clears throat> and there's no queue. I hate and, that. And you're like, and you know that feeling in the pit of your stomach. It's, it's right the there. same as I'm basically now, just thinking about it. <laughs> it's the same as not doing deals in recruitment. It right? it's, it's getting towards the end yeah. of the month. You're looking at your pipeline. You're like, oh, it's that that. So the, that, that's really interesting that you said that. Yeah. Yeah. Any yeah. other lessons? I think hard work. Um, you know, it's a whatever people think about DJs and club promoters. It's a it's a tough gig, right? You know, I mean, I mean there's a lot of great about it, but I've actually done it professionally in two periods of my life and and both after each period I've said you know what I'm I'm out again do you know what I mean so it's it's a lot of hard work late nights and you've got to do your day job and I think the other thing is we really learn about the customer experience and I think you have to you have to know your customers in any business and and getting the customer experience right we we learned the hard way when we were promoting and uh, I think you know we're, we're always analyzing that in all the businesses we're involved in now I think I think we're the first to put a, a TV wall into the Manchester club, right? I think we were, yeah. Took us about 24 hours beforehand, like yeah. lugging it, putting it together. They weren't flat screens in those days, no, were they? they were really heavy. <laughs> they were, yeah. Um, right, let's get on to the first piece of music then. Um, so I've asked you to select um, a track that you were really into when you were a bit younger or a standout tune. What, what have you chosen and, and what memories does it have for you? Well, look, it's, um, it's a classic Prodigy track. And um, the reason I'd selected it is, I think it came out in 92. Um, and I was actually at that stage still playing, you know, 
guitar really and wasn't that into electronic music but it actually charted uh as well so it was my first kind of time where i felt you know what i could really get into this this type of music so yeah um over over to you dan and uh, it's out of space by uh by the prodigy let's have a listen and out of space that was the uh fourth single they released um in total in november 1992 uh, combines a reggae line lifted from max romeo and the upsetters combining reggae with uh old school kind of hardcore uh sound and the immortal words by liam howlett i'll take your brain to another dimension play close attention bonkers right absolutely yeah i mean they had a totally unique uh sound that they brought out um and um music trivia for you now yeah what record label was it released on xl yes knew you were gonna get that yeah uh who also released stuff like sl2 on a rag of tip yeah about that time yeah um nice um so you co-founded amoria bond in 2006 and you know that's been a um a good story of scaling a recruitment business um and i think the thing that's that, that, that I always reflect on on being quite proud of is is we've always st- tried to stay true to the values uh, and the and the purpose that that's central in the business of progressing people's lives, uh, retaining the best people through progressing their lives. C- can you explain a bit more about what wh- why that's important to you? Yeah, I think look as you go through and 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 grow businesses, you know, e- you know, even at my time at S three some of the sort of trappings of that growth and success, you know, like the new car or or the big commission, you know, it loses some of its momentum. And um, what you get is is something that you're really passionate about and and what really, really motivates me and really, really motivates, I think, you guys and and the whole business is is that progression and seeing people progress and developing them and and seeing, you know, someone who came in as a 21 year old or 20 year old and then you know 10 years later they're they're a director in the business and how they've developed and, and the things they've achieved so that's that's really what 
you know, that's what I'm really, really passionate about. And seeing people progress through the milestones in, in their life, which whether it's that first heart, first house, nice car that they want, having a family, um, exactly. growing their responsibility, growing their commercial skills. Um, so yeah, developing from a rookie to a top biller to, you know, uh, you know, team manager, these sorts of steps are all different jobs. And it's, it's fantastic to see people on that journey. So if I, if I was to try and make this as relevant as possible to maybe um, a smaller growing agency to recruitment owner of maybe one to 10 heads, something like that, who doesn't necessarily have, you know, massive deep pockets or resources um, in order to, to help try and retain people, put people first and invest in individuals. It strikes me that they need to have, you know, two things. One would be a bit of a map career path then so that people can vision out what those next steps look like. Yeah, right? absolutely. And then um, also some form of training and development. And training and development is also something that, you know, we always put very central, won a lot of awards for. So what would your advice be to a smaller agency owner um, on on how best to set up training and development within their organization. So it's not just a, a, a box ticking exercise, but actually has the value that's, that is intended. I think the, the the key thing for me is, you know, invest in it. And, and that doesn't necessarily mean money. It means invest your time in it. You need to know what your people are learning and you need to know that there is no point in just going, all right, I'm just going to buy that person and, and bring them in off the shelf, get them to do some training. I'll go and do some admin. You know, you, you need to be clear on what the skills deficits are and, and how you're going to improve them and, and get in there. There's nothing more important than training individuals. And then I think the second thing is, once you've done that is is to measure and we're really really big you know on metrics so the ratios in a business so you should be able to see right if my interview to deal was five to one in that team and then over three months of training we've got it down to four to one or three to one you know th these are the metrics you should be measuring so that that's what i would do excellent and um what you just said there as well was you know, if, you, if, if you're training something, if you're the business owner or the team leader or, you know, responsible for, for, for those individuals, there's no point you just going, uh, oh, you know, listen to that audio or look at that video. It's very easy to do in this day and age, obviously, of like YouTube and all these, you know, TED Talks and all the rest of it. Yeah. But unless that becomes meaningful and you're in there with them to see how well it and, and you, you know, you make it a bit more interactive than that, then I think, it, you know, it's just learning for learning's sake a lot of the time, right? Exactly. And, and it's the follow through with training. Yeah. The, um, I, I'd also say there's, um, you don't need to feel like you're reinventing the wheel all the time, right? There's, there's a lot of good systems and material out there, um, off the shelf systems that you can use as a central repository for the, 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 the training and learning. Uh, I think, yeah. The, I mean, the thing about training is it's, it's basically reminders, you know, uh, of, of stuff that you already know. It's just, you, you don't use it anymore. So, um, definitely don't need to reinvent the world. No, um, it's all out there already. It's the follow through and, and sticking to principles around it and, and making it happen. So just to put you on the spot a little bit, um, you know, you, you're when I've seen you operate and, and delivering a, a, a message or training or speech, you know, whether it's my, my own best man speech or, yeah. or, or whether it's to an office or um, a team, you know, you're, you're quite good at using analogies or stories Um um, to, to kind of, you know, hit home the message. So what's a, what's a recent uh, analogy or training in intervention that you've delivered? What stories have you told, Gareth? Well, I mean, I've not been involved 
much in the in the business on a day to day basis for for a while. But I was flying. I think I was flying in uh, about six months ago, and and on the flight, I watched uh, a really uh, a really good movie called Beats, which was which was all about rave culture. Is that on Netflix? I think it, I think it is on Netflix. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. And um, I thought, you know, there's a good there's a good message in this because obviously the three of us, me, you, and Nick, we, we kind of grew up in that rave culture. So so I actually ended up doing a bit of a training session on a Monday afternoon, watching the movie beats and uh, and doing some stuff around it and um i remember thinking you know there were some good messages there because during that period in the in the 90s we were all about kind of doing things differently and pulling together and and not uh, you know not not dealing with what the government was saying at the moment around the stopping um free parties and stuff like that and i think that we, was thatcher's kind of repetitive beat legislation that back, you locked down the rave scene and e- all that exactly exactly and i think we put a lot of that into a moribond from a trying to do things differently and um and and trying to do our own thing rather than following the masses so but i did i did sort of wake up the following morning and i think oh yeah you know i've got a load of 20 21 22 year old uh people in there and and this guy from the 90s is coming in talking about rave culture i wonder if it got the message i, I was gonna say that's probably the most tenuous kind of like speech that's just basically you on a flight watching a film and then you've created a, uh, a training session around yeah it. And it isn't, that, isn't it like an 18 isn't it like an 18 and, it, and his basically message is go out partying hard and like we're all in it together yeah yeah it was something like that it was stronger than that i did send you the slides actually so you should check it out i'd quite want you as a boss i think that'd be quite good um let's come to the second piece of music um so a tune that reminds you of your your early career. Can you can you set the scene for us, please? So yeah, I mean, basically when I joined S3, I was completely broke, had a load of debt. Um, we'd wrapped up our music promotions company one one night too many that, that didn't quite get the numbers. Um, and so um, started at S3. I think it was on a ten grand basic, so wasn't really enough to to live on. So I carried on DJing on on the side, and I had a residency at a club called um, Berlin in the in uh, off Canal Street in the Gay Village, and I also had another residency at Prague Five. And I used to do Prague Five on a Thursday and Berlin on a Saturday. And um, best vibe in the city back then. Yeah, on Canal Street it was awesome. rocking. Yeah, it was good. It was really good actually. And Berlin had actually was was the place to, to go on a Saturday night. It was, it was a good crack. But um, obviously, um, some of the tracks then, um, and this particular one um, that I used to drop a lot was um, "Music Is the Answer," uh, Danny Tenegla remix, um, Salida, uh, absolute classic, and um, yeah reminded me of that period of going out DJ until 3am and then being in the office at 7.30 the following morning on a Friday morning. Let's dive in. Is the answer to your problems. Keep on moving, then you can solve them. If you feel that you can take no more and your feet are headed for the door, gotta keep on dancing and prancing. Keep on moving, flying, stop your crying, choosing while you're cruising. Music is the answer to your problems. Keep on moving, then you can solve them. At 12 midnight, I'll be waiting for you. So don't forget what you have to do. Gotta keep 
Naglia and Salida, Music is the Answer, Dancing and Prancing, released uh, 1998 on a US import, Trivia, Lloydie. Yeah. Which label? I can't remember the original label. Twisted, Twisted. American, do you remember? Yeah, yeah, yeah with yeah, the yeah, head. Yeah, you got it. Yeah, um, head on it, yeah. It's been remixed a lot of times, that. Um, Danny Tanaglia, what a DJ. Amazing DJ, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think he's remixed people like Madonna, Jamiroquai. Um, but yeah, it's many, uh, many a dance floor mo- moment to uh, a six hour Teneglia set. Um, longer. Were, longer, I think. Yeah. Eight hours. Eight hours, 10 hours. Yeah. Um, you, you, your interests um, are both inside and outside of recruitment. So I believe you, you have a, um, a commodities business. Um, you also met your business partner on that one through the Manchester music scene as well. Do you want to just give it, give an outline to who that is and, and, and what that business is? Yeah. So it's a, a friend of ours called Greg Vickers. He was the uh, tribal sessions, tribal gathering resident at Sankey's for, for many years. Great guy. I toured with him in South America in 2006, um, DJing, and we just had a, an amazing time. And, um, think he got to a stage he moved to brazil started djing over there he got to a stage where he he wanted to to do something else so we were looking at products in south america that we could export and um yeah peru is where he settled and and where the business is and we've got three three factories across uh, two cities or two locations in peru and one in the in the center of the amazon jungle and so from my understanding of this, you, you have leased or you own a certain amount of uh, rainforest. Is that right? Yeah, we've bought a, a big section of rainforest there. And we've, we've, uh, it's about 30 hectares. Okay. And then we've, we've just built a factory there, which is, yeah, I mean, it's huge. Uh, uh, I, I went to see it a couple of weeks ago. I, I didn't even realize how, how, how big it is. They've done a fantastic job there and that. That's um, the, the 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 most uh, uh, high tech Brazil nut factory in the world, and uh, yeah, I think we're top four producer in the world now of Brazil nuts. So um, exporting globally, exporting globally, yeah, okay, yeah. So um, and and also kind of an eco business because I guess it, it it preserves the rainforest because the from this is what Greg was telling me the 
the Brazil nut tree takes like 150 years to bear any fruit, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And the I mean the uh, the Incas originally when they were getting chased by the Spanish out of their cities, they all fled to the jungle. That those that left. And the theory and the story goes that they all planted lots of these trees because they're so good, healthy nuts. And they, they basically hid in the jungle then after that. And um, yeah, they're everywhere. And uh, like you say, you can't you can't farm them. You have to collect the nuts. So I think we've got around about 400 people now in that part of the Amazon that, that rely on us now that deliver us nuts uh, that we produce and then export. It's been um been, been tracking that obviously from uh, from afar. It's been very interesting hearing stories of, you know, for everything from uh, truckloads of Brazil nuts getting driven off a ravine and you know or spoiling cargo. To, uh, I, know, I know there was a trial on other agricultural products or commodities before you, you settled on the yeah. value and margin of Brazil nuts, like garlic yeah. or asparagus. I mean, or, yeah. So <laughs> we, we tried to see lot. this trial and tribulation <laughs> yeah, it's through been, this business. And then the same also in recruitment, right? You know, you've um, you, you no doubt made loads of mistakes uh, and going through. So I, drawing on all of that experience together, I, I just wanted to ask you, you know, maybe what are some of the lessons um, that you've learned along the way that you could that you could share. I think business yeah, lessons. Yeah, I mean, look, there's a lot. I mean, the first one is accept that you're going to fail on things all the time, and and that's okay. And don't take it personally. And it's hard not to, you know, especially if you're proud about growing your business or or whatever, and 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 you make a mistake and it, and it costs you or, or whatever. And but all, all you can do is 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 learn from it. I think that would be the first one. Um, I think the second one is, you know, as a young leader growing up, you know, I think I was got into recruitment when I was 21. I was a team leader when I was 24. We started Amoria Bond when I was 28. You, you know, at that age, you, 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 you're just super hungry, super ambitious, and you can be too hard on people. You know, you can be too hard on people at times and your communication, your, your message is right. You want high standards and you want the best. But I think in those early days, the way I communicated probably wasn't an effective way. Um, so I think that would be a, a really good lesson for anyone. It's, it's just, you know, your people are your biggest asset in any business. So looking after them and and and, and engaging them is is, is, the, is the best way to, to deliver. Treat your people like your best customer. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And they'll do right by you. What would you say is your proudest achievement? Um, I think in getting married to my wife. You suck it. Ah, um, that was uh, that was a, a, a great moment. But from a business perspective, that was a great moment. I you were there. I, I enjoyed the what the three days, three weddings you had, really yeah. milking it over like yeah, three different venues, and you know, it was, yeah. it was a fantastic sum of that. Yeah, it was a good one. But I think um, from a business perspective, she she said if I didn't say that. She was going to divorce me, so uh, I thought I'd get it in. Hi, Marie, if you're listening. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think from a business perspective, um, the the consecutive hitting the the far. I always looked at companies back in the early days and see them hitting the fast track and hitting that. You know these types of. I think hitting that five years on the trot has been a, a, a very, very good one. And I think actually the recent one turning up and seeing that facility in the middle of the Amazon. That, you know, it's been a hard slog to get there and, and seeing it in motion and, and what it can achieve now was was pretty, pretty visual gratitude goal kind of tick that goal yeah. kind of yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Um all right, let's let us let us move on to um track number three. Um a piece of music that represents 
a memorable occasion in your personal life. So just tell us what you've chosen and, and why. Um, so, yeah, I mean, going back to the we- the wedding in Ibiza, we um, obviously, like any self-respecting DJ, we... Um, we we put some time into playlists and 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 made sure that you know we had a good list of of, of music playing throughout the whole event and um, I think in that time this was one of the tracks that that came up um, Papua New Guinea uh, by the Future Sound of London and it was a uh, very old track that I was into when I was growing up and uh, yeah it's a it's a wonderful piece of music. And something that was played a lot in Ibiza when we were we were there in 2012. Cool, let's have a listen. Sound of London with uh, Papa New Guinea. Um, massive bait, break break number. Sounds really good on a big system, that. Um, released in 1991, reaching the uh, number 22 in the UK singles chart. Oakenfold used to play that cream a lot at his residency there. And um, I don't think uh, it's available online, but there's a, there's a, there's a 12-inch mix by a certain um, Andrew Weatherall. Oh wow! Rest in peace. Yeah, yeah. We, we uh, I've just asked you about your proudest achievement, um, and kind of reflecting back, I, I definitely think one one of mine is co-founding the Amoria uh, Bond Charitable Trust with you, which we formed together with uh, with Nick back in two thousand and eight, mm-hmm. and since then we've completed um, quite a lot of projects, including putting a, a library into a school in Wivenshaw. We put a, a roof on a school in Sri Lanka. We sponsored children in a classroom, built over 100 homes uh, and a soup kitchen in Peru, among a lot of other more regional initiatives um, across some of the offices. So I, want, I wanted to kind of ask you, what, given um, my energy for that particular area is only matched by your energy as well, which is, which is, which is definitely one of the, the contributing factors to why 
we've, we've pushed that on all the years. Well, why is having um, a CSR policy, CSR is a bit corporate, I think, for this. I think it was actually more, you know, done holistically from that belief of giving something back, right? That's when mm-hmm. we approached it. But why is having a CSR policy important to you, Gareth? I mean, it's a good question. I think, look, fundamentally, we are all, anyone listening to this, anyone um, who, who's in this industry that we're in, is very, very lucky. We would have been born in either the UK or another um, sort of developed economy. And, you know, we've got nice houses or flats or cars. We, you know, we, we've got, we sit in nice offices, you know, we, we've got enough food in our fridges. Um, and, and that's just pure chance, right? We could have been, we could have been born anywhere. And there's a lot of people born in lots of other places, born into extreme poverty, whether it's villages in Africa with no water or the shanty towns in Peru that we've worked in. So it's just the right thing to do, you know, to give something back. And um, because a lot of these guys, through no choice of their own, the families are in a very difficult position. Um, and you can only do so much. And we, I think we obviously want to do more and more. But that has been the driver, really, for me. What do you think are some of the... So that, that, that's a personal perspective for yeah. you, um, which is a, a nice, humble overview what about for the people around you or maybe your staff? What, what Have there been any kind of benefits that you've seen there? Yeah, I think, um, look, I mean, you go into it because you you, you want to create um, more opportunities and for, for those either in the business or, or those, you know, overseas when we're, we're, if we're doing work. But ultimately, if you, if you, you know, introduce people to these types of concepts, they become more grounded. They become more grateful for what they have, uh, and and also we can leverage um, the networks that we have. So if we send ten people out from Amoria Bond to Peru, you know we'll still pay their salaries for 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 those week or ten days, and then they can go and work full time on the on those houses. So we're we're able to leverage the resources that we have in our business to go and do that, and and they can also raise money from their network to take over. You know, it's the same with the network of people that we've got delivering the Christmas parcels to all the the, the, the shanty towns there. Again, it's our network, our, our business over in Peru, we're using their staff to go and do it. So I think it, it just gets people pulling together, gets people to open their eyes and gets people to kind of realise that, you know, there's a big wide world out there and, and not everyone is in the same privileged position as, 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 as most of us. And if we go back to that concept of progressing people's lives, I think, not only that map career perspective and um, you know training and development. What better training and development of life skills is there to take a um, I don't know a twenty year old from Manchester who's you know just thinking recruitment me 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 and actually going look you've got very little to moan about and getting them involved in um, the the project over there really matures them. In fact, actually, I, I think, you know, looking back at some of the testimonials that we get back that, you know, most of the staff cite that as one of the breakthrough moments of their lives, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you talk about proudest moments. A lot of people who've been on done those trips, of, of, you know, I certainly look back and go, wow, you know, when we hit that 100 house number, it was it was a big moment. And and like I say, everyone we speak to who've done the trip has have felt the same about it. So um, so I think it rounds people and um, I think it, it, it opens people's eyes. And look, if we can leverage to get money to go over to those places and resources, then that's only a good thing. Good stuff. Um, if you were locked in a room for a year 
with just one album, <laughs> um, what album would it be? Um, I mean, it's, a, it's an obvious one for me. It would be uh, Left Field's Leftism album. I think that was just a game changer of an album. Ooh, nice and chilled and like yeah. just and it, gorgeous. And gorgeous breaks yeah. and some good techno in there as well. Okay, uh, fantastic. All right, let's let, let's come to uh, your fourth and final track. There's lots of um, traditions in sales of how you celebrate a deal. Um, I think um, a, a common one in recruitment anyway is is ringing the bell or walking down the red carpet to um, maybe a deal tune. And I think in different in different recruitment companies, that deal tune can either be something that you choose for yourself you know, to, um, to cement your celebration of, of, of completing a, a placement, or it can be, um, you know, chosen for you, which sometimes, you know, gets a little bit dodgy Yeah, yeah in terms of be, being a little bit unpolitically correct. Yeah. Right. Um, I, um, I th- yeah, I think it's raining men was chosen uh, for me when I first got into recruitment. You deserved that. I was like, okay, so Clearly, you know, that's that's what you think about my sexuality. That's absolutely fine. There's no problem with that. I'm all right with that. Yeah, you know, I'm, you're uh, comfortable. Yeah, with that. okay. But um, either way, I wanted to, you know, let's say you do get to choose your own deal track. Mm-hmm. And uh, what track would you like to walk down the red carpet to, Gareth, to celebrate doing a deal? Um, well, for me, I think it would be um, New Order's Blue Monday. And I think that's it's got a, a, a double meaning. I've, I had quite a few Blue Mondays in recruitment, actually, and uh, it was always it was always the day your contractor didn't turn up on site, and you'd you'd, you'd had a, you know you'd been out uh, the weekend, and uh, it made it particularly hard. So um, so yeah, but it, it's just a fantastic tune and doesn't needs no further introduction, really. Let's give it a play.
Released uh, 1983 through Manchester's legendary Factory Records, um, the owner of which, a certain uh, Mr. Tony Wilson at the time. Do you remember we um, we actually did some music promotions? He he ran um, uh, in the city, I think. It yeah, was in called, the city. Yeah, which, which um, did one in Manchester. I'm pretty sure we did one in Leeds as well. But it, it was effectively a week long celebration of music. Yeah, that involved different kind of plenary speeches and and you know workshops as well as gigs nights and gigs so yeah. um yeah it was it was good to to, to work with him yeah um, best selling 12 inch of all time now i'm not sure if my trivia is right here but th- with re-releases in 98 in 88 and 95 actually on wax 12 inch sold 1.16 million copies wow um didn't know that and uh i probably i, I probably um Dedicate that track to a certain Mr. Barrow as well, because it's, it's a classic Barrow tune. It's it is the one, a he, it's the one he always plays, right? Yeah. yeah. So nearly um, that's all we've got time for. I just wanted to just fire a quick f- few at you. Uh, best gig you've ever played? Uh, yeah. Um, well, look, sat in Ancoats here. Uh, anytime I played the main room at Sankey's was just a, a joy. Um Galapagos Islands. I did a did a full moon party there. Incredible setting, and um, and then uh, I think the other one was uh, the other big one was at Sao Paulo um, playing at Pasha, uh, and that was yeah mind blowing. I think you're just showing off now. I am, yeah, yeah. All right. Um, best DJ set you've listened to? Don't even know if I could begin to answer that, to be honest. No, no. I think probably two, actually. The one me and you went to at Fabric, where we saw Deep Dish in uh, 19... I think 19... Oh, no, probably 2000. And then um, I was at Space and I saw Steve Lawler, followed by... Who was brilliant. Followed by who uh, Sasha, who was... And, and this was in the late 90s as well. And I thought... Oh, no one could top those two. And then Danny Tenegra came on and, and absolutely smashed it. So they're probably the two standout ones. Are you sure it wasn't just the progression of uh, a few more drinks at the bar? So Get, everyone was be. getting better and better. Yeah, every, levels were going up for sure, definitely. All right. Well, I wanted to thank you for coming, uh, uh, well, all the way from Singapore. To, yeah, uh, uh, I'll send to, you the to, bill for my to record this. Later. As, as a little tribute, what I'm going to do is as well say that... Um, Usually, I would put a playlist together featuring your four tunes, um, but this time I'm going to ask you a favour. Could you please do a guest playlist of all 25 tunes? Certainly, uh, certainly could. Encompassing the true spirits and loads of that nice kind of soundscapey, Balearic vibe building up into, uh, you know... Some harder bits do. at the end, yeah. Exactly, you got it, mate. Would yeah. love to, mate. Yeah, um, would love to. Thanks for coming on, buddy. Yeah, Been thanks. a pleasure. Fantastic. Cheers. Thanks, Dan. Loved it. <laughs>